Amen, amen, amen. Thank the Lord for the EF choir. Amen. I know she said EF choir, but I thought she said KFC choir for a second. If she did, it was extra crispy. Amen. 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 Don't do that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The Lord is so good. I, I thank the Lord for the choir. It seems like I've, I've preached a couple times when the choir has sung, and I like that. I like that. The, the choir gets me going. It gets us going. Thank the Lord for Doxa, all the music, the choir, all that the Lord is doing here. Amen. 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 Uh, let, let's... Uh, let me pray, and we'll go into our message today. Father God, just so thankful and grateful for you. As the song said, the Lord will make a way somehow. You have proven yourself faithful, Lord God. Uh, help us to, to look back and to remember just how faithful our God has been how faithful you are and always will be. Father, I pray that as we come before you uh, this afternoon and look at your word, that you will speak words of life to your people, Lord. Help us. We need help, Lord God. Help us by your word and minister to us by your Holy Spirit that we may grasp what it is that, that we need even in, in this hour, Father God, that your name might be glorified and honored through our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, before we get to the scripture for today, I just want to share a few things. Um, I remember a time when I was a six-year-old little guy. I lived in Gulfport, Mississippi, and I talked kind of like this. Uh, I was a little guy, but I had just learned how to ride my bike without training wheels. So as far as I was concerned, I was the man. I was that guy. You could not touch me because I can ride my bike with no training wheels at all. And my house was at the bottom of a hill and there was a road. It seemed like a big hill. I bet if I went back there, it was just a little ant hill. But it seemed like a big hill to a six-year-old boy. And I remember just thinking, I wonder how fast my bike can go without training wheels. And I am the man. So I went to the top of that aforementioned hill with my brother and a couple of friends. And we got our bikes and we went down that hill. And man, we were zooming down that hill. We were flying down that hill. I was like, I definitely am the man. Check this out. I'm going down this hill until we got to the bottom of the hill. And when we got to the bottom of the hill, there was some deep sand that my bike went into. And when the wheels of the bike went into that deep sand, my bike stopped. Now that doesn't have to be a problem, but it was because I didn't stop. The bike stopped, but little Larry kept going. I don't know why was I not holding on. I don't know what happened, but I went flying forward. And I had a, a, an up-close and personal meeting with the pavement. And as I looked at the pavement, it was now all red because I had busted up my face, busted up my lip, and, and I began to cry, and I got up, and I cried out to the only one who was able to help me in that time. I raised my hands, and I said, Mommy! Help me, Mommy! Mommy, Mommy. I cried out to Mommy, which is an appropriate thing to do when you're a six-year-old boy. Amen? Now, we, we still all cry out for help sometimes. Amen? Amen. Now, now, if we'll be honest, sometimes we don't cry out to the right places. If we be honest, sometimes we, we, we don't cry out to mommy, but sometimes people might cry out for margaritas. Amen. Or, or sometimes I know me, I, I, I hurt my, my mouth a little while ago and 
Um, I, I couldn't open my mouth wide. I, I, I developed a milkshake addiction. So I would cry out to milkshakes instead of to mommy. But some, we cry out to all kinds of things when we're hurting. Now, this is a Jesus-centered church, amen? So, so the name of Jesus is on the lips of people at Epiphany Fellowship. We, we, we preach about Jesus all the time. So I know y'all know the right answer to who we should cry out to. Don't say it yet. But, but I, want, I want to hear it from you. So if you can let me know, when you're struggling and hurting and at your end, who is it that you should cry out to? Jesus. Come on, give it to me one more time. Who do we cry out to? Jesus. Who do we cry out to? Jesus. Okay, you got it so I can pray and we're done today. Amen. No, we're not done today. Because though we know the right answer, we don't do it all the time. Sometimes we don't do it consistently at all. Although we know that he is the one that we should call on, we struggle at times to call on Jesus. So let, let me ask you this question. When you think of comfort, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Don't say it if it ain't Jesus right now. <laughs> when you think of going somewhere to find comfort, where is it? Or when you're struggling and you want to feel better, what do you do? Quiet. Don't get in trouble right now. <laughs> Amen. Here's the answer for every person in this room. You didn't know I knew the answer, but I know the answer. The answer is when you are, are struggling and when you are hurting, where do you run to? You run to the thing that your mind is set on or to the one that your mind is set on. That's where you run. For good or for evil, for right or for wrong, when, you, when your back is up against the wall, you cry out to and you run to the one that your mind is set on. And that was the issue that Paul is dealing with as we come to these verses in Colossians chapter 3. Paul is dealing with that issue with the Colossians and the fact that they are running and crying out to the wrong one. So let's look at those verses together. I'll, I'll read them. You don't have to read out loud today, but Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to use the title today, Who You're Going to Run To. Who You're Going to Run To. Paul says these words, If then... You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So Paul uh, lays out these words to the Colossians as he gets into this part of his argument, in this part of his letter in uh, chapter 3. Um, this is an interesting letter because it's the smallest town that he wrote to. It, it's a place Paul had never been to. Why in the world does he take the time to write to this little church in the, off the path? He'd never been there. Why are you writing to this church? It's because he got a report. And he got a report that... Uh, they had not jettisoned Jesus and gotten rid of him, but what they had done in some ways was almost worse. They had made Jesus smaller. They had brought Jesus down to size. And because of some teachers who were now gathering at Colossae, who were giving them uh, different alterations of what it was they needed to do uh, to really experience the fullness of salvation, the, the effect of that teaching was to bring Jesus down to a size where he was just one of many options for them. 
It was enough to where they thought they could still call themselves Christians, but, but the problem was they were now looking for other things uh, in, in line with these false teachers that, that would prop them up and give them hope in time of trouble, that would tell them where to run to when they struggled. And so uh, Paul, in this little letter, he, he develops an idea, and he develops his theology of Jesus like he does nowhere else. In fact, he does it so well that, that some commentators have believed he couldn't have possibly written this. There's such a high Christology here. But now, as we look at the manuscripts and all the evidence, Paul wrote this book. In probably 62 AD, at the same time, he, or close to the same time, that he wrote Ephesians from a Roman prison. And Paul uh, writes to them, and he begins to develop uh, the idea of exactly who Jesus is to come against this false idea of this smaller Jesus. So in chapter 1, starting at verse 15, he says of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, if you've seen, God, if you've seen Jesus... He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, he says, over all creation. And then he says, for all things have been created by him. Things visible, things invisible. Can't see it. God created it. Jesus created it. He says, whether in heaven or on earth, whether they're rulers, authorities, all things have been created, he says, through him. In other words, he is the agent of creation. When the Bible starts in Genesis 1.1 and says, In the beginning God created, it's talking about Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to them. This isn't some Jesus you can scale down. He says, he says all things have been created through him and for him. In other words, everything that has been created in this universe has its purpose and its end is that it will glorify Jesus Christ. Paul lays out what the Bible has laid out from Genesis all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament as well, the reality of who this Jesus is. Don't, don't water it down. Don't make him something a little bit less. And then in, in, in chapter 2, he goes into the issues that they're dealing with because they, they've been giving, uh, given other things as Jesus substitutes. They've been given philosophical wisdom that he says is actually empty, but it sounds really good. That They've been given traditions, human traditions, that seem like that can get me where I need to go, but he says it's not going to do it. They've been told about the worship of angels and spiritual beings, but he says that's not going to do it either. They've been told that there's certain religious practices, being careful about what you eat or what you drink or how you worship on what day you worship and all of these things that if you get them just right, You'll be okay, but Jesus isn't enough for you anymore. So they've been told all of these things. And at the end of the day, their Jesus has become smaller. If that was just a problem with the Colossians, we wouldn't need to be here talking about this today. But it's a problem today. It's a problem for us many times if we're not careful. So Paul saw this. And, and I call this condition Colossianitis. They had Colossianitis. God, Jesus being smaller, other things being bigger. And if we'll be honest, many times we have the same condition. We, we fall into this condition of Colossianitis. But Paul wants to preach about a Jesus who's, who's not just great, but he's God. Who is not just all right, but he's almighty. He preaches about a Jesus who's not just loving, but he's Lord of all. And so that is the Jesus. He says, this is the one that you need to run to. And so I want to look at these verses and, and see how it is that we can cure this Colossianitis. How we can stop this tendency to make Jesus smaller and others larger, other things larger. How can we do that? So that is our aim today, so that you'll know how to do it, 
and that you will begin to put it into practice more consistently in your life. So let's look at the verses, starting at verse 1. I have three points today. The first one is from the first two verses. Your mission, because your mission is to come against Colossianitis today, but your mission is expressed in verses 1 and 2. He says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now it's interesting, he doesn't just leave it there. I love the way Scripture can get real specific sometimes. He doesn't just say, seek the things above, but now he makes it clear where he's talking about. He says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. See, for some of us, and sometimes we seek the things above, but they're not high enough above. We, 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 we seek and we look for answers and for help, and we say we're looking up, but we're not looking high enough. He says, you need to go into the heavenly courts where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. See, you can't just say, well, I'm looking above. I'm looking for my hope. I'm looking for my help in a promotion. I'm looking for my hope in a financial blessing that's going to turn my life around. I'm looking for my hope uh, in, in, in that woman or in that man. If you're married, sometimes people look for hope in their husband or wife. My wife used to look at me as a little savior. It took about 15 minutes of marriage and she said, oh gosh, that's not working out so well. But we can look to people, we can look to situations, we can look to things for our hope, but he says, you're not looking high enough. You need, to set, you need to seek the things that are above, not just kind of high above, but go straight into the courts of God. Seek the presence of Jesus Christ himself. Seek that. Then he goes on in verse 2, and he kind of reiterates the thought and deepens it even a little more in verse 2. He says, set your mind on the things that are above. Not just seek. Seek, look for it. He says if you seek, you're going to find in Matthew chapter 7. If you seek, you'll find. But what happens when you find? He says now you've found. Now set your mind on the things above. Clamp on to that thing. There's a word there that's used and it's just used a few times in the New Testament. And, and, and the word is used, for example, uh, by Jesus speaking to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, Peter had just rebuked Jesus. Jesus had told him about he, he's, he's getting ready to go to the cross and die and suffer. And Peter said, oh, no, you're not. That's not going to happen to you, Lord. I'll make sure of it. That's not going to happen to you. By the way, just an aside, rebuking Jesus is not a good idea. Okay, <laughs> don't do that. So Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you have not set your mind on the things of God. Paul uses this phrase twice in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. In, in Romans chapter 8, he is, he is talking about the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer to set you free. And he says, those who are of the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. They grab on to it. They're not letting go. But he says, those who are of the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind, he says, on the things above. Seek the things above. See, what, what God is communicating to us, even by the words he uses here, and, and, and even by uh, the way they're written in the original language, they're in what's called the Greek present tense, which means it's something that you do over and 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 over again. It's something that is your continual lifestyle. Seek the things above where Christ is. Set your mind. Grab onto the things which are above. There, is a, there was a 19th century preacher. His name was Harry Beecher Ward, and he uh, wrote these words. He says, every artist dips his brush into his own soul and paints his own nature into his pictures. Every artist dips his brush into his own soul and paints 
his own nature into his pictures. Look, uh, brothers and sisters, day by day, as we live out our lives, hour by hour as we live out our lives, minute by minute, what you are drawing through your life is a picture of a, 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 of a, a brush that was dipped into your own soul. And how you live and how you make decisions and what you do is saying about what is in the deepest recesses of your soul. That will be determined by what your mind is fixed on. What your mind is set on. So your mission expressed here in verses 1 and 2 is simply this. To fix your mind on Jesus. Fix your mind on Jesus. That sounds great, but how in the world can I do it? I'm not too good at that. Neither am I. We struggle with that reality. How is it that on a more consistent basis, we, we can choose to set our minds on Christ? What is it that can help us with that? Look at verse 3. I love this verse. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That, that to me is a picture. When I, when I read those words, there's a picture that comes into my mind. So he says, you've died. In other words, I've dealt with all this junk in your life. I, I died and you died in me to sin and the ruling power of the enemy over your life. You've died. And he says, now your life is hidden with Christ in God. I see myself moving towards uh, the, the presence of the Father in all His grandeur, in all His majesty, in, in all His perfections, and in all His holiness. I'm moving in that direction. And, and, and that's a fearful thought if I'm exposed with all that I have done. That's a fearful thought if I realize how I've lived my life and what I've done to offend a holy God. But he says, you're not only moving towards the Father, but, but your life is hidden with Christ. In other words, I'm wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And so as I move into the presence of of God the Father, the reality is this. The only expectation I have now because I'm wrapped up in Christ is the love of God, the mercy of God, the joy of God. All that belongs to Christ now belongs to me as well because I'm in Him. You've died, he says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a beautiful thought. That is a gospel picture that we've got to get a hold of with our lives. Many times, even in what we would call a Christ-centered life or a Jesus-centered life, though, we, we, we get the wrong Jesus, just like the Colossians did. And, and Jesus, because he's not the great Jesus that Paul speaks of here and that the Bible speaks of, he easily gets moved off of the throne and something else gets there, even for believers. Let me tell you how this can happen. Now, some of you, like me, loved, loved reform theology, reformed theology. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. But reformed theology centers around the greatness and the sovereignty of God over all things. I love it. I love studying the Word and seeing uh, those themes played out through Scripture. But sometimes what I've found is people, and even myself at times, who love reformed theology, we can easily and this seems strange, push Jesus off the center and put something else on the center of the throne. And often with people that love Reformed theology, that thing is my own depravity. So I call it being depravity-centric. In Reformed theology, we talk about the total depravity of man. And so what happens is many times uh, we set up our own depravity as the centerpiece. So what does that look like? It looks like this. My favorite scripture is Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wow, that's really your favorite scripture? Yeah, that's my favorite scripture. What do you love in the Old Testament? I love me some Jeremiah 17.9. Glory to God. What does that say? It says the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? Oh, praise God. I love that scripture. 
And so when we get, when we get uh, uh, on this depravity-centric type of mindset, we almost forget about the creation of mankind in Genesis 1 and 2 when we were made in Imago Dei, in the image and likeness of God. We forget about the work of God that he explains in Ezekiel 36, that he takes out the old heart uh, that is stony and doesn't, doesn't bow to God, and he gives us a soft heart, a new heart, by which we can bow down to God. He, we forget about the fact that we are on a trajectory as children of God to be, we have been adopted by him. And now the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, that all creation is standing and waiting to see the revelation of the sons and the daughters of the living God. We forget about that. And, and my depravity becomes so central. So when, and it becomes an idol. Now, when things become idols to us, uh, Idols are where we go for comfort. Not the gospel, not Jesus, but we go to an idol. How does that work with a depravity-centric believer? Here's how it works. When I sin, my first thought is, yup, I sin. That's going to happen. I am a sinner. I was born in sin, my other favorite one, and shaping in iniquity. Of course I sin. Comfort. I'm comforted by that. I sin some more. Oh, my God. Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not the only one. I look around. Y'all all sinning too. Hmm, I'm not alone. Comfort. I feel better now. Uh, and, and, and we go on with this way of thinking, even to the point where, 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 where we think something like this when we've sinned and, and fallen again and we're we're struggling with that thought, where am I going to go? I've really, really messed up now. I've really blown it. But you know what? God's the one who made me this way. And, and I've been praying for years for God to take this temptation and this sin away from me, and he hasn't done it yet. So God, you made me this way. That's why I'm the way I am. Ah, sweet comfort. And we've comforted ourselves without repentance. We've comforted ourselves without Jesus. And we've comforted ourselves without the gospel. Comfort. That's what idols do. Let me give you the opposite other side of that. And I hope you can see yourself in these pictures at times that you've been down that road. The other side of it is what I call romanticized believism. It's a place where you think, because the Bible says, Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Praise God, I'm more than a conqueror. And, and the Bible says that we ought to know that about ourselves, right? It, it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. You kidding me? Dealing with sin? Not me. I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I'm a Philippians 4.13 believer. I got it tattooed on my forehead. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't come at me with that weak, I'm struggling in sin mess. I've got it together. I'm one of those real believers who knows what it is to be a conqueror in Jesus Christ. And I don't know what's wrong with you. That's romanticized believism because we're believing something about ourselves. Now, we're taking scripture, but we're misapplying it. We need to take in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. But when we're, when we're on this track and when we're believing this way, and we can all get there when things are going really good and we start smelling ourselves. I've really got it together right now. I don't know why y'all are struggling with that. Listen, uh, uh, not too long ago, I was with a group of guys, and, and we were going through and talking about this stuff, and I, I just remember uh, coming to a place of, of just seeing how this is a picture of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 who raises his head to God and says, I thank God that I'm not like other men. Right. And, and we're talking and, and going in on this. But I remember right after that meeting with my brothers, I went upstairs with my wife and something was on TV about a Hollywood star who was admitting something. He admitted that he had HIV. And immediately I began to think and even say some things, looking at him, pointing the finger at him. And, and immediately the Holy Spirit said, that's you, Pharisee. 
Luke chapter 18. I thank God I'm not like other men. So we, we can get this real quick and real easy. How is it that this kind of thought process comforts us? I'm glad you asked. It comforts us this way. I sin and I mess up, but you know what? That's not really sin. It's just a little mess. It was a mistake. It's my bad. It's not a sin. Now, maybe I, I sin a little worse. And maybe I'll even admit it's a sin, but if it is, it's a sin with a little S, a little I, and a little N. Because if that's my sin, other people sin a lot worse than me. I hear about it all the time. I see those people out there. I even talk to my brothers and sisters in church. People are sinning a lot worse than me. Comfort. We comfort ourselves like that. And then, and then if we're not... If we're not careful, it moves on. And so I recognize and realize that my thought life has not been very honoring to God. Not just a thought that came in, but one that I trapped and rolled with for a while and just let it go, right? And my mind has been in the wrong place, but I never acted out on that. I didn't do anything. Comfort. Now here is the clincher to this uh, idolatry of the romanticized believism. The clincher is this, when we really blow it, when we've hurt someone badly, the evidence is there, we can't deny it. We have done something bad and, and we've really hurt someone in a terrible way. We have to admit it and we do. But, but, that's not what I meant to do by that. That wasn't the intention of my heart. So, so what do we say? God knows my heart. So even though I cursed you out and called you every name but a son of God, my heart was good and my heart was pure and my heart was right. Come on, man. We can deceive ourselves all this way. Comfort. I'm comforted by that. And I've comforted myself again without repentance without Jesus and without the gospel, but I'm comforted. And against this kind of Jesus-reducing and gospel-dismissing mess, he calls us to another way of understanding, and that is based on this verse that I have died and my life is hidden with Christ in God. So I don't have to Pretend that my sin is not as bad as it is. Romanticized believism needs to get out of here. I also don't build my identity around the fact that I'm a sinner because my identity is firmly rooted in the fact that my life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? So we're able, as we apply the gospel through this, to understand ourselves rightly and set our minds on Christ in a way that actually help, helps us to live in victory. And now, because I'm able to do that, I become a person who easily repents, a serial repenter. I'm ready, willing, and able to repent. When my conscience is pricked by the fact of my own sin, I quickly confess it. I repent of it. I go to Jesus. Ah, sweet comfort in Jesus. Sweet comfort in repentance. Sweet comfort in applying the gospel to my life. That's the comfort that we really need. That's the comfort that we need. Now go on to verse 4. In verse 4, I love this. He says, uh, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. In verse 3, he told us what God has done and what he's doing. In verse 4, he says, when he appears, you'll be like him. When he appears, you'll appear with him in glory. He's looking at that future hope that we have in Christ. But I love that phrase at the beginning of that verse where he says, when Christ who is your life appears. I understand that Jesus Christ is my life. He's not an add-on. He's not a little addition. He's not an accessory that I can take off or put on when I want to. He's not a help. He's not a booster. He's not a little trinket. He's not my side John. Jesus is not your side John. But Jesus is God Almighty. God Almighty, who is there 
for me. He is there for you. We put on Christ who is my life. Are we living more and more like that's the reality? Now, let me ask this question. Don't answer it. What if you were on God cam this week? The reality is we are all on God cam. It's not candid camera. That can only see what you're doing on the outside. But God cam. God knows everything you do wherever you are. He knows every thought you have. He he cuts down to the, the intentions of your heart. He knows it all. He knows everything about you. Good, bad, and ugly, and there's some bad and ugly in this room. There's some bad and ugly standing on this stage right now. So that good, bad, he knows it all. So what if the God cam went up of your life on the big screen? Not just what you did, but your thoughts, the intentions of your heart, all your secret thoughts. Man, I don't think anyone here would like that very much. I know I wouldn't. So, so here you are saying, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, and then God cam goes up on the screen. And then the man in the replay booth says, upon further review, there is indisputable video evidence that this person don't know God from a doorknob. You want to know the good news of the gospel? You can put God cam up there all you want. The one who made the ruling on the field, Jesus Christ himself, cannot be overturned. It doesn't matter what all of these things say. He says, I will not be overturned. The evidence is in. I died for that one. But she did this. Uh Uh-huh. I died for that one. Oh, yeah, but you didn't see him last week. Oh, yes, I did, and I died for that. That's the gospel. There is no further review. There is no overturning the verdict of the king of the universe. When he makes a decree, it's final. It's done. It's finished. But brothers and sisters, he calls us to live in a way that honors and glorifies him. So your mission expressed is having your mind on Christ. Your mission explained is is latching on to the gospel in such a way that you see that he is the answer to your need. But I want to look at verse 5 for a minute as we talk about your mission executed. That's good to know, but how does that really work out in the hard situations in my life? Paul goes straight for the jugular. Verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I used to read through the New Testament and look at these lists and, and, and just get mad. How come he always has to start with sexual immorality? Can't you just give me a break? Can't we just talk about, you know, something a little simpler, you know, a little easier? Why you have to go there, Paul? Holy Ghost, leave me alone. You went right there again. Here's why. Because if he doesn't get to the hardest thing, the toughest thing, the most difficult thing, you won't know if this stuff works. Listen, the Colossians didn't need another philosophy or theology that didn't get them to where they needed to be, and neither do you. So he goes straight to the heart of the matter. Look, everyone struggles in this area of their life. I'm going to say almost everybody. Everybody I know. Let me put it that way. When men tell me they don't struggle with this, I say, okay, I believe you, but you do struggle with lying, don't you? I know you're struggling with something. Tell the truth and shame the doggone devil. Let's get honest, brothers. Struggle. Look, ever since Adam and Eve fell in sin, this is an area that's an equal opportunity destroyer of lives. We We don't have to put like one category and other people struggle in this area. We struggle. So um, as, as we're struggling 
in this area, he goes right at it. He says, put to death. Boy, that's strong language, y'all. That's strong language. Uh, he says, annihilate this thing. Destroy this thing. Um, and I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But let's turn briefly to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to see a few verses here. Because here Paul is going to talk about how he deals with this. 2 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 3. He says, for though we walk in the flesh. I'm glad he said that. What, what is he saying there? He says, though we walk in the flesh. Though I'm just flesh and blood. Paul's saying, I am not. I don't have some special magical stuff on me. I'm just flesh and blood. Some of you will remember uh, one of the great, uh, very deep and poignant movies of the 1990s. Um, it was a movie that dealt with the deepest parts of the human heart and the angst that comes as we live in this world. I think it won multiple Academy Awards. Yes, you know the movie. It's Good Burger. very deep. And in Good Burger, there was a scene where, where young Ed, our, our protagonist of the movie, Ed wakes up from his bed and Ed is wearing his Good Burger outfit while he's in bed, and including his hat. And he gets up from bed and he goes to the shower with his Good Burger outfit on and his little hat. And he turns on the shower and Ed begins to bathe himself, or actually his uniform, because he still has it on while he's in the shower. And then Ed begins to go into this musical interlude that, that, that speaks out of the depth of his anguish as he walks in his job at Good Burger. And he says, I'm a dude, he's a dude, she's a dude, we're all dudes. <laughs> Praise God. That's the moment. Paul says at the beginning of verse 3, I'm a dude. He's saying, I walk in the flesh. I'm not different from you, but... Look what he goes on to say. He says, we're not waging war according to the flesh. So though I'm just a regular person, when I wage war, I'm not waging war with human weapons. He says in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare uh, are, are, have divine power to destroy strongholds. The word there, divine power, those words, literally it means are powerful in God. He says, the weapons that, that I'm bringing to this fight didn't come from this world. And, and I, I'm not special. I'm not different from you. I don't have a secret sauce on me that you don't have available to yourself. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have what I have. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the gospel. I have my mind set on Jesus Christ. He says, you got it too. You have what you need in Jesus Christ. You've got what you need. How do we overcome this thing? Whether it's sexual immorality or covetousness, whatever it is, we're looking to all kinds of things these days. A pill. A pill will do it. A pill may do something, but it's not going to deal with the issues and the problems in your life. Uh, well, well, how about uh, instead of a pill, we just... We just deny. We say, you know what? I'm a Christian, so I'm not struggling with this. We just deny it. That doesn't change anybody. You can't tell someone who's struggling with whatever they're struggling with. And by the way, don't get it wrong, because their struggle is different than yours doesn't mean that yours is better than theirs. So whatever someone's struggling with, when, you, when we say you shouldn't be struggling with that, that doesn't help them. That doesn't change them. So, so if it's not denying our desires, how about just... Living out our desires. That might be a way. Oh gosh, no. No, right? We can't do that. We don't live it out. What then is the answer? It only comes through the application, the timely application of the gospel to your thought life. It's what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians 10. As we, as we rest on not just a Jesus, this lesser Jesus of the Colossians, but on the Jesus of Scripture. 
that replaces this small Jesus and begins to rule in our hearts. Look, as I'm getting ready to close, we live in a time, we live in an age where there are excuses for everything and there are diagnoses for everything. Now, I thank God for some good diagnosis that can help us deal with physical problems. They can even help us deal with mental health issues. If there are issues that, that need some correction through medication, praise God for that. that. That can all be very helpful. But at the end of the day, we have to admit that many times where we are is not because of what mama did or daddy did. It's not because of my biology and my genes. It's because of decisions that I've made that have put me right here. At the end of the day, let, let, let me just say this. Let me be with, real with y'all for a minute. Let me keep it 100, right? Is that the right way to say it? Keep it 100. If, you're, if alcohol is your struggle, you're not going to get better if, if, if your, your, your alcohol of choice is 1,800. Is that, is that this stuff? I saw it on TV, right? 1,800. You can't downgrade that to 1,500 and say, I think I'm getting better. Look at me now. Look at me now. Look, if hard porn is your issue right now, you're not going to get better saying, well, I got rid of that for soft porn. Sin will kick your butt. Sin, you can water it down all you want. It is looking for that opportunity where it will destroy you. And if he can't take you away from Jesus, he can minimize your witness and your ability to live out a life that glorifies him. He can end your days short because of these kind of decisions. Look, if, if my truck is stuck in the mud and there's nothing I can do to get it out of the mud, at some point I have to admit that I'm the one who decided to drive it there in the first place. It's here because I took that turn and I thought I could make it over there. But I'm now I'm stuck in the mud and I can't do anything. Well, you know what? You can do something. You can call for help. You can call for help. Stuck in the mud as you want to be. And you don't need to call triple A. Y'all know I've called triple A too many times. But you can call triple J. Call on the name of Jesus. And look, it don't matter how deep your wheels and your tires are stuck in the mud. It doesn't matter if your tires are bald. It doesn't matter if your transmission is broke. Jesus is able to latch on to the bumper of your heart. That's right, the bumper of your heart. And he's able to pull you out of the muck and the mire and the mess that you put yourself in if you will just admit to it, confess it, repent of it, and say, God, I am yours. He can bring you out fully, but we've got to admit that we put ourselves there. Look, as I... Get ready to close. When you're struggling, hurting under stress, who are you going to run to? You're going to run to the one that your mind is set on. Whether that's Jesus or uncleanness. Whether that's Christ or covetousness. Whether that is his security or whether that's your impurity, you're going to run to the place that your mind is fixed on. So God is inviting us today to set our minds on Jesus Christ. I'm going to do an altar call in just a minute. But as I get ready to do that, I, I, I really, this is a bad altar call because I'm going to say beforehand, I don't want you to come up. I don't want you to come up if, if you're not serious about what a mind reset really is. I was so encouraged to hear, and my wife is, in, is working with salt, and just to know the scriptures that they're memorizing there. Look, one way to reset your mind is get your mind on the Word of God and start memorizing scripture. We can talk and, and thank God for the class pastor. He's been teaching on Bible study methods, but let me tell you a method that blows away every method. Get your mind on the Bible and memorize verses and small sections of scripture. Memorize the Word of God. 
That way you're not just working on it for five minutes in the morning. It's on your mind all day long. And if you're memorizing scriptures that are pointing you to Jesus and to the gospel, that's going to help you throughout the day. You need a mind reset. Get your mind on the gospel and on Jesus through memorizing his word. The other thing that you need to do, it's great that you're here this afternoon on a Thanksgiving weekend, and it's great that we come together and worship God, but Sunday morning is not enough. It's great that many of you are in life groups, and that is wonderful. I love my life group, but that's not enough. Your daily devotional time in the morning is wonderful if you're doing that. But that is not enough. So we need, to do, we need an upgrade of setting our minds on Jesus throughout the day. A daily office is setting aside numerous times during the day to set our minds on Christ. Look, you want a mind reset? It's not going to happen by coming up here and me just saying some kind of prayer. But when you do that, you're saying, I'm serious about this. And I really, really know that I'm at a place where I really need to refocus my mind on Jesus. So if that's you today, I just want you to come up right now and I'll pray before we do communion. If you know that you need a mind reset today, I ask you to just come stand right up here and we'll pray. We need to get our mind focused on Jesus Christ. It's been all over the place. When, when, when I'm alone with my secret thoughts, they're going all over the place. And when I'm struggling and hurting, I've got a whole lot of things that I go to before I go to this little Jesus that I've made. Well, there is no little Jesus. The Jesus of this book, the Jesus of the Bible, is bigger than we could ever imagine. And He is able to take you from wherever you're at right now to that place where his name will be glorified in you. Let me just say this, because sometimes we look at scriptures like this, put to death, sexual immorality, impurity, all these things, and say, man, I wonder if I'm a Christian because those things still rear their ugly heads in my life. Well, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. He's writing to Christians. The, the reality is, when, as you do this, you're not going to be perfect overnight. You're not going to be perfect in five years. If you live a long life and God and Christ doesn't come back, you're not going to be perfect in 50 years. Not till you get a brand new body from Jesus. Uh, your, your maturity in Christ is not just, I, don't, I never ever do any of these things. Your maturity in Christ is when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you immediately go to confession, repentance, Jesus, and the gospel. And you'll do that as you soak your mind, you set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you.